You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Just a couple of other things to mention. Uh, Gavin and Amy got married on Friday, so we remember them. And Sarah Grant, uh, Alison's daughter, had a baby boy, Noah, this week as well. And we pray for them, for the, the whole Grant family. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 59. And we're going to look at verses 1 to 15. If you've got a Bible, it's on page 745. The words will also come up on the screen as we go through each part of it. I'm not going to read it as a whole, but just we'll, um, we'll read through it as we go on. Now, um, I did a wee experiment before I came in because I, I checked with some people and to see how trendy you were and how up-to-date you are and apparently nobody is. I'm just wondering if anyone here knows what Hoog is, because Hoog is, yes, definitely one person at least knows what Hoog is, and I spent ages learning how to pronounce that, so if you're Danish, please congratulate me. Uh, it is a Danish word, and it means kind of, it, there's no English equivalent, but it's the kind of trendy thing just now in amongst kind of, I don't know, metro elites in, in uh, Britain, and it's kind of, you you. You, you, know, you want to, the idea of sitting at a warm fire with your knitted Scandinavian jumper, uh, drinking hot chocolate, it kind of means cozy and warm. Uh, I much preferred the other Danish word, mugen, which is trendy for nobody. It just means grumpy. Um, <laughs> it means the feeling you have when you're uh, trying to, waiting for the internet to connect and it doesn't connect or you're waiting for a bus or whatever. And, but I, the, the kind of, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking that what we look at this, this morning, it's difficult for us to grasp and to get hold of, because it's definitely not hoog, it's definitely not cozy, it's definitely not comfortable, it's definitely not um, the kind of thing that you can just back off. And as a result, my fear is that some will maybe get upset about it, my fear is perhaps even more that people will say, I don't want to hear that kind of stuff, and just shut your ears. But it is very, very important. The BBC have had a series of programs about people who've got cancer, and they're talking about their cancer, and they've been incredibly moving, and also, in, in some ways, um, quite depressing. I've been listening to a number of political speeches, some of which have been also incredibly idealistic and moving, and yet also somewhat depressing. And I think for each of you here, if you were to sit down a bit and, and think about it, and think about some of the things that cause you to feel heavy, and um, some of the barriers and the issues that you face, whether in terms of death or care or relationships or work or sense of purpose or frustrations or grievance, <coughs> we all would like just to be able to just to get rid of these things. But I think in all these things, there is one massive thing uh, missing. In Isaiah 58, we're told what it's like to follow Christ. Your light will rise in the darkness. In Isaiah 59, we're told what the darkness is. And that's why this is important. Because if you pretend everything is fine, you won't get help. If you pretend you don't have cancer, you won't go to the doctor. 
if you think to yourself, what a wonderful world, when it ceases to be a wonderful world, you will really, really struggle. So, let's look at the first two verses. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Here is the number one problem in my life, in your life, in society's life, in the city's life. The number one problem that in all the things I've mentioned, I did not hear anyone address. And it is this. There is this massive cloud over us, this massive barrier that separates us from God. Because that is what sin is. Sin is separation from your God. Why don't we see God? Why don't we know God's blessing? It's because of this dark, impenetrable cloud of human sinfulness, including our own. So, let's look at how sin actually works. For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt, your lips have spoken falsely, and your tongue mutters wicked things. Now, in this whole section, Isaiah uses some phenomenal images that any of the people who are artists here, I'm sure you could make pictures of. But here he begins with something very, very stark. He says there's violence. I'm, I'm tired of seeing pictures on uh, news of Syrian kids, and we're only seeing a part of it. I'm tired of seeing the ugliness and the violence in humanity, the abuse of women, the abuse of children, the racism and cruelty that stems from that, the, the violence that still exists in our society. I mean, it, it, I find it incredible that people actually don't really face up to this. And tied in with that are the lies and the abusive language and the injustice and the empty arguments. And this is an extraordinary picture. What is being said here by God to his people is, you stretch out your hands to me in prayer and they're dripping with blood. They're stained with blood. And we say, well, whoa, back off. That's not me. I've not murdered anyone. I've not done anything. If we live in a society that condones violence, if we live in a society that survives by violence, then what do we expect? Sometimes you don't have to, as the standard of Jesus is actually much higher. You don't actually have to go out and kill somebody in order to be guilty of violence, hating people. That's how sin works. Sin always leads to violence. And then verse 4, no one calls for justice. No one pleads a case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments. They utter lies. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. No one calls for justice means no one makes a public stand for what is right. Probably like in Amos 5 verse 13, therefore the prudent keep quiet in such times for the times are evil. It's quite hard to make a stand for what is true if everyone around you is attacking what is true. 
I know many, many politicians, and I mean this personally, who if I told them what the Bible said and discussed with them, they would say, I would agree with that, but I could never say it. I find that appalling. I can never say it because I would be attacked and I would be abused. They have empty arguments, it says, things that don't make sense. And here, lies, the word is not just a specific lie, but the whole ethos of disregard for the truth. So people are told, trust the government, trust the people, trust your own heart. But all of it, it says, is empty. And the word that's used is the Hebrew word tohu, which is a word that's used right at the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, when it says the earth was empty and uninhabitable. And what is happening in our culture, in our society, because people don't care for truth, and truth is whatever you want it to be, we are creating a wasteland. I uh, used to love listening to, and I still love listening to, a band called The Who. I once saw them live. It was just an amazing, amazing, amazing concert. But what I like about them most is they're so angry. And they have a song called Teenage Wasteland. And it is one of the most powerful songs uh, you will ever hear. And it's definitely not Hoog. It's, it's, it's rough. It's hard. But it's saying we're creating a wasteland for our teenagers. And we are. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. And it's an incredible imagery. They are pregnant with evil. And it's like one of these horror films that none of you ever watch, I hope, you know, where someone gives birth to an alien. Um, well, it goes on. Verses 5 and 6 carry that image a bit further. They hatch the eggs of vipers and spin a spider's web. Whoever eats their eggs will die, and when one is broken, an adder is hatched. Their cobwebs are useless for clothing. They cannot cover themselves with what they make. Their deeds are evil deeds, and acts of violence are in their hands. Eggs of vipers and a spider's web. And what it's talking about is the poisonous influence of evil people which cannot be crushed. He says, you stamp on an egg, and an adder comes out. In our culture, what that means is this. We say, we'll ban this, and we'll ban that, and we'll ban this, and we'll ban that. But there'll always be another way for evil to come out. One man writes this. There is something about sinful human beings which is a constant potential menace to others and makes all efforts ultimately ineffective for any good purpose. Now, a strange one on this, I was thinking about this, is the clowns. You know about the clowns, some of you. Some of you don't know about the clowns. Um, it does sound funny. But clowns, you know, I mean, when I grew up, clowns were quite innocuous, weren't they? They were like funny. You'd have, invite them to parties. Try inviting a clown to a kid's party now and see what happens. Because of horror movies, again, the whole idea is of clowns being really scary behind the mask. And of course, coming over from America, what's happened is that there are people following children with horrific clown masks. And it does sound funny. And then when you think about it, it's actually just absurd and evil. And it's a way of people being able to, to intimidate. How do you take something as friendly and as funny as a clown and turn it into a symbol for evil? Because where there's a human being, there will be a way of taking anything that's good and turning it into evil. And here's the thing. He says, it's useless to rely on evil. It's like using cobwebs for clothing. And the, the gossamer of a, of a spider is, is, is beautiful, it's gorgeous, but try wearing it. You're not going to be wearing it for long. 
And actually, in our culture, we have lots of things that when you listen, they look good, they sound good, they're great on TV video games, they're great on 60-inch screens, they're great on ideas that come from politicians' mouths, but when you try and put them into practice, they're just useless and rubbish. And he goes on, their feet rush into sin, they're swift to shed innocent blood, they pursue evil schemes, arcs Acts of violence mark their ways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their paths. They've turned them into crooked roads. No one who walks along them will know peace. There's a rush to sin. There's a rush to do what is wrong. It is impossible for them to know peace. I don't know if you've ever read uh, William Golding's Lord of the Flies. I would highly, highly recommend it. An absolutely brilliant book, I think from the 1950s, in which uh, a group of boys crash on a plane on a desert island and they're schoolboys and they're all nice kids and basically without doing too much of a plot spoiler by the time you get to the end they're total savages and Golding was trying to teach us that within the heart of each one of us and collectively we are we will go downhill we won't progress we won't just get better if we are left to ourselves it's impossible says Isaiah, for them to know peace. It's impossible for our society to know peace. They've deliberately twisted their paths, and as a result, their sin will boomerang back on them. You know, I, I, I saw a fantastic poster with a, a member of parliament standing beside it saying, I believe in peace in the Middle East. I think it was, I support peace in the Middle East. Well, sorry, who doesn't? You know, I mean, what, what does that mean? And how does it work out? If we go down twisted paths, we won't see what's ahead. Now, the point of this is not just that our fellowship and relationship with God is lost. The point is that human society is lost. All these words that we've read comprise everything that promotes the breakdown of standards and of society or threatens what is ordered and stable. That applies in churches, it applies in cities, it applies in countries, and it applies for us as individuals. So, sin is violence, it's conceiving birth to evil, it's, it's poisonous, it's something within, it's walking a crooked path. But then there are consequences. So justice is far from us and righteousness does not reach us. We look for light, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Like the brine, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. At midday, we stumble as if it were twilight among the strong we are like the dead. Listen, this is progression. This is what happens when human beings individually, collectively as a society turn away from God. Rather than being enlightened, we end up wandering in darkness. And here, God's people confess this. This is a confession. This is brokenness. They acknowledge the darkness, the hopelessness, the bitterness of sin. This is weeping. This is gut-wrenching from the heart. This is real conviction of sin. This is not, oh Lord, forgive me my sin. Now let me get on with life. This is, oh Lord, I am in darkness. I am groping about in the darkness. It is weeping. There's an encouragement there, though, as well. As long as there are people who weep, apostasy is not total. 
But I'm sorry, I, 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 I despair sometimes at the church in Scotland today because we've forgotten what it is to weep. We're all so obsessed with being happy. And I want to be happy. I want to know the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. But if I can't weep at what's going on in the culture, and if I can't weep at the wrong things in my life, and if I can't weep at the wrong things in the church, what kind of Christian am I? I live in a fantasy world. You grope in the darkness. Jesus says this. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. John 12, 35. Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Isn't that incredible? And listen to this. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. There's a blindness that is first of all personal. It's not just society. It is the darkness within. I'm reading John Newton just now, the man who wrote Amazing Grace. I was blind, but now I see. Do you know this? His letters are so incredible. And his letters continually, he genuinely keeps saying to people, I was blind. I was blind. I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it. And here's the irony. He did become physically blind at the end of his life. And he's saying, I can see. I can see. I understand. Before, when he was fit and young and healthy, he said, I was blind. I was a wretch. I was groping around in the dark. But now, as an old man in only church, sweeping the floors, blind, and yet he could see. And I want to say this to you, and I, I, I do not mean this in any insulting way or as a condemnation of you or anything like this. But I want to say that if you do not know Christ, there is a blindness in you that means you cannot ultimately see anything in reality. When you are a Christian, you as a Christian can go through periods of blindness as well. I know that sounds almost counterintuitive. Well, now I'm a Christian, now I see everything. No, you don't. Sometimes we see as but through a glass darkly. The world around seems to be full of the strong, as, as Isaiah is saying. But we grope as those who cannot see where they are going. We stumble as those who cannot be relied upon for constancy and stability. And we're dead as the vitality we need to live the godly life. Lord, I want to see. Lord, I want to see. Lord, let me see Jesus. Sometimes we don't want to see, do we? And I'll tell you why. Because if you blind yourself or you see only what you want to see, then you can shut your eyes to the pain as we confessed in our, that confession of sin. You can shut your eyes to the poverty. You can shut your eyes to the cruelty because it's too much. But we shouldn't be like that. Look what happens in verse 11. We all growl like bears. We mourn mournful, mournfully like doves. We look for justice but find none for deliverance but it's far away. 
Growl is a, it's like an angry growl. It's like Jesus in John eleven thirty eight. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. That was at Lazarus' grave. And when it says he was deeply moved, it meant he was raging with anger. He groans. Romans 8, the whole creation groans. Moan like doves. The sorrow there, Isaiah 38, 14, I cried like a swift or thrush. I moaned like a mourning dove. My eyes grew weak as I looked to the heavens. I'm being threatened. Lord, come to my aid. It is normal. See, there is a kind of Christianity that will say to you, come to Jesus and you just feel happy all the time. I'm sorry, but if you come to Jesus, there are times in your life where you will see things as he sees and you will be overwhelmed and you will weep for the city and you will weep for yourself and you will weep for your own sin and you will be horrified at what you see. Christianity is not an escape. It is opening the door to reality and it's a reality that's hard to bear because verses 12 and 13, for our offenses are many in your sight and our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us and we acknowledge our iniquities, rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on our God, inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. Isaiah has used blindness and bears and doves and now he goes to the court and sin is the prosecutor and he says, you can lament the consequences of your sin, but that's nothing before standing before a holy God the most self-righteous person here, the person who's sitting right now and thinking, I'm none of these things. You need to understand that if you stood before God and if you prayed honestly, Lord, show me my sin in the way that you see it, you would fall down as though dead. Because the evil that you may see in other people is in your own heart and it's in my heart and it's horrendous. We cannot stand before a holy God clothed only in our own righteousness and our own sin. And that has another consequence in society. So justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found. And whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. What Isaiah does, again, and it's just so full of imagery, he takes four qualities and he personifies them and he describes where they are in our culture. He says, justice is driven back. Righteousness stands at a distance. Truth stumbles in the street like, like a drunken man. And honesty cannot enter. In the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, chapter 11 and verse 7, this image is used. Now, when they have finished their testimony, these are the witnesses, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. And what that's saying is this, public justice is warped, so is public opinion. What scares me about our culture is that we are now getting government by public opinion and by mob rule. And Twitter and Facebook allow that mob rule to rule. And it really is quite scary when you see it. Public integrity has collapsed, and if you doubt that, just watch the American presidential debates. Because without making any political points, 
it disgusts you beyond belief to see grown-up people behaving like that and people taking it seriously. There's a moral void at the heart of society, and we end up with chaos. The philosopher Hobbes says, not Calvin and Hobbes, and not our own Hobbes, but the philosopher Hobbes says, life is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. It's really depressing. Really. But let's not end there. Verse 1, surely the arm of the Lord, let's go back there, is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. The question is, does God possess the power but doesn't hear? Or does he hear but does he not have the power? He does hear and he does have the power. So the problem is not with God hearing and the problem is not with God having the power. The problem is with our being alienated from God. Our being away from God. The reason you don't see is not because God is not there. It's because you're blind. The reason you don't worship and you don't love is not because God is far off. It's because there's this barrier of your own sinfulness between you and God. Sin alienates, sin separates. So how can we be reconciled? The problem is always the human heart. What can be done about it? We're like the tin man in the Wizard of Oz. We need a heart. We need a new heart. And that's what Christ comes to give. He comes to give us life and life more abundantly. And what he does, and if you went through all of this, I'm not, I'm not going to go, I'm, I am going to finish, I'm not going to go through it all, but you, you take all these things and you take violence. What does Christ do? He turns it to peace. I sat beside a man who came to speak to me and he told me some of the things that he'd done. He'd been a UVF uh, terrorist in Northern Ireland. And he was wanted by the police for killing and so on. But he came to believe in Christ and was appalled and horrified at what he had done. The cobwebs of evil, if you like, are changed to the bridal garments of good, of righteousness, crookedness to the straight way, brokenness to wholeness, injustice to justice, blindness to light. And I think my favorite of all, the righteousness that's at a distance, the the guy that's standing far off from us becomes the righteousness that's in our heart, that's right at the very core and the very center of our being, so that the ugliness that causes God to stand at a distance from us is vanished, and the beauty of Christ becomes ours, so that when Christ looks upon us, he doesn't see the ugliness he sees only the beauty of his son. John L. Mackay says this, our willingness to accept the remedy often depends on our perception of how deep our need is. I will tell you the reason why anyone here who's not yet become a Christian hasn't become one is because you don't see the desperation of your need. You don't see the state that you are in. Because if you did see and you saw what Christ is offering you, you would snatch at it like a man who's conscious that he's dying of thirst is given fresh, cool, clear water. And so in a strange kind of way, you have to hear what's being said here because otherwise you think Jesus is just another kind of idol to be added to your shelf. 
you'll think that your goodness is sufficient and God will be pretty lucky to have you on his side. Whereas if you grasp this, if you understand this, if you realize where you're at, then all you can cry out is, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I want to say this to those of us who are Christians as well. Do you know that darkness, that cloud? I know that when you become a Christian, you're forgiven everything. But as John says, if we say we have no sin, we lie. We lie. And I believe that 90%, if not 99% of the problems that I have are associated directly with my own sin, more than the sin of others. Because it's how I react to situations. It's, it's how I take on things. It's how I'm so self-obsessed. And you are the same. You are the same. There's a darkness. There's a dark cloud. Great is the darkness that covers the earth. And so we pray that the light would shine through. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Let his light shine upon us. In this church, we have nothing. We have nothing. If we combine together all our sins, they would reach to the heavens. We can't boast about a single thing. We dare not be self-righteous and self-justifying. But we must not despair because that darkness and that heaviness, once you are aware of it and you're aware how real it is, then you can only look to Christ. You can only look to the one whose arm is not too short to save and whose ear is not too dull to hear. We're too busy to speak. We're too self-confident to seek salvation. But when God breaks in and challenges us so that we weep for the sin of our society, for the sin that now is killing and raping and abusing and starving and torturing people. We will also weep for the sin that is right in the middle of our own hearts. And the Lord will say to us, I forgive you. I've died for you. I forgive you for your sin. And the light comes in and the darkness is dispelled. May the Lord grant each of us awareness of the greatness of our need and the greatness of his solution. Let's pray. Lord, just like a November har, just like the heavy mist that sometimes comes up from the River Tay, we are conscious that there can be a heaviness upon our own souls and our own spirits. A weariness as we see the evil in the world and the evil in ourselves. And so we simply pray, come Lord Jesus, pour out your Spirit, enable us to see Christ, to reach out for Christ, to accept Christ. Enable us, O Lord, to give our lives to him and to know, to know that we've been set free and our chains are off. Lord, we ask that you would come to each one of us. 
and come to our city, come to our communities, come to our families, come to our country and your world. In your name, amen. Amen. Let's stand. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.